Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. I'm feeling pretty good. I've had a few free days, so I've been able to start building up my queue of episodes, which is a relief. I know that this is something I do as much for me as for you, so if it stops being fun, I'll probably stop making new episodes. But it's a lot more fun to work on if I'm not feeling the scramble to get an episode ready the day before it drops. Today, we have our second tragedy by Seneca, Phaedra. This is based on Euripides' Hippolytus, which you may recall from Greek tragedy, but it turns out that Euripides wrote two plays about Hippolytus. The first was Hippolytus Veiled, and that's not the one that we read. We read one that was originally known as Hippolytus Crowned, because that's the one that has survived the ages. I mean, that's not why it was called that, but we read it because it survived. The other one did not. Seneca, however, based his Phaedra on that earlier version, Hippolytus Veiled, which does give us a bit of insight into a play that has survived only in fragments, but this also means that we shouldn't see a clear through line between the play of Euripides that we read and the play we're going to cover today. Seneca wrote Phaedra sometime around 50 CE. It might be the best known of his tragedies, and the framework of it should sound pretty familiar if you recall the Euripides Hippolytus episode. He may have written two different plays, but the overall elements are, of course, largely the same. The cast includes Hippolytus, of course, his dad, Theseus, and his stepmom, Phaedra. There are two unnamed servants, Phaedra's nurse and a messenger, and then there are the usual assortment of spear carriers, some on the right, some on the left. One might even be the third spear carrier on the right. Who knows? And our chorus is comprised of the citizens of Athens. The play is set outside the palace in Athens. I am working from Uh, Emily Wilson's 2010 translation, but you should have no problem finding an older translation for free online, including Ella Ella Isabel Harris, whose translation I worked from in the previous Seneca episode. So with that, let's take a short break before going through the plot. Oh, but one final thing before we do take that break. In case you've forgotten the plot of Hippolytus, this is another play that deals with suicide. Now we'll take a short break before going through the plot. The play opens with Hippolytus. He sings all about the landscape and calls for his friends to join him in a hunt. He invokes Diana and then sets off for the woods. Phaedra and her nurse enter. Phaedra speaks of her all-consuming love for Hippolytus. At this point in the play, the nurse serves as a decent voice of reason, counseling Phaedra not to give in to her feelings. Phaedra remains unswayed. She is convinced that she can win Hippolytus over. And she also has no fear of Theseus. After all, people don't return from the underworld. You'll recall that that's where Theseus is when this play starts. And if she can't win Hippolytus, then she'll take the only other logical option. She'll kill herself. 
and she exits. The chorus enters and is super helpful as usual. They sing about love. And more than that, they sing about how no one can escape love, providing a number of examples to support their thesis statement. They ask the nurse where Phaedra is. The nurse shakes her head and tells the chorus how Phaedra is suffering love. She doesn't argue their statement that no one can escape love, but she does remind them of the potential negative consequences of that feeling. Phaedra enters and asks the chorus to help her change from her royal garb into something much simpler, something one of Diana's huntresses or an Amazon might wear. She and the chorus exit. Hippolytus enters and chats amiably with the nurse. She does her best to convince him that love isn't so bad after all, and maybe he'd be happy in a romantic relationship. But Hippolytus remains steadfast. No, he's not interested. He'd rather hunt. Plus, he's a literal misogynist. He comes right out and tells the nurse that he hates all women. He's not sure the reason, but he is certain that he hates them all. Phaedra enters. She steals herself and then confesses her love to Hippolytus. He is dense enough that it takes a while for him to catch on that she means what she says. But once he has caught on, he is appalled, shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on here, or, you know, that his stepmother is in love with him. He pushes her away and then runs off to the forest. Phaedra weeps and wails, but the nurse tells her that they can turn this to her advantage. The nurse cries out to the chorus that she and Phaedra have been assaulted by Hippolytus. The chorus runs on and prays that Hippolytus's beauty will protect him from the punishment of this crime. Theseus enters, having finally returned home from his mission to the underworld. The nurse tells him that Phaedra is on the verge of suicide. Theseus begs to know why, but Phaedra refuses to tell him. The nurse, on the other hand, has no such qualms. She shows Theseus Hippolytus's sword, which he left behind when he ran off to the woods. Theseus is furious and curses his son. He calls on his ocean father, Neptune, to the Romans, who has promised Theseus three wishes. And he's asking to use his final wish to avenge his wife. The chorus sings about how vengeance and justice aren't the same thing, and isn't it a pity that humans lean toward the former? You know, shouldn't there be more justice in this world and less vengeance? And isn't it sad how that is still true today, 2,000 years later? Anyway, a messenger comes running on stage. He provides great detail of how this sea monster startled Hippolytus's horses, leading the young man to fall from his chariot and be dragged to death. Great detail. We're talking a four-page speech here, single-spaced. It's graphic. Theseus cries at this news, but he's not sad that Hippolytus is dead. He's sad that Hippolytus is dead because of him. The chorus tuts over this turn of events. Meanwhile, Phaedra has not stopped weeping. She tells Theseus that Hippolytus was innocent all along and that she's to blame, and then she kills herself on stage. And then Theseus finally feels bad about Hippolytus's death and not just his hand in it. He calls for the proper burial of Hippolytus, whose remains are brought on stage for him to see. Again, it is quite graphic. Phaedra, on the other hand, will get no such honors. And with that decree... The play ends.
after doing all of the Greek tragedies, I feel like these plays are so short. <laughs> um, and maybe that's because there was more detail to go into the Greek tragedies. Maybe it's because we're covering stories that we already covered in the Greek tragedies. Or maybe it's that Seneca isn't necessarily trying to put on a good play. He's trying to teach us a lesson. And this play, while melodramatic, is as much about showing us how not to behave, see Phaedra, as it is about telling the story it contains. And that might explain why Seneca chose that earlier Lost to Time play by Euripides. What we can tell from the fragments that have survived and from this play, the characters were not nearly as complex as in the version of Euripides as Hippolytus that did survive the ages, the one that we covered in the Greek tragedy course. And for Seneca to get his point across, flat characters are better. Hippolytus is pure. Phaedra is passionate. Theseus is compulsive. So what do you think about this play from our favorite Stoic philosopher? What do the characters have to say about how we should behave and treat others? Um, Largely by learn from their example and don't be like them, right? Don't be ruled by your passions the way Phaedra is. That's not what a good Stoic does. Pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It is at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. You can also find me on Patreon as Triumvirclio. There's not a ton there, but you do get access to episodes as soon as I record them if you decide to become a patron. That URL is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover book five of the Aeneid. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.